York's talk station with the king of New York. Curtis Lewa, 77 WABC. It was all a dream. I used to read Word Up magazine. Something pepper and heavy D up in the limousine. Hanging pictures on my wall. Every Saturday, rap attack, Mr. Magic Molly Mall. I let my tape rock till my tape pop. Way back when I had the red and black lumberjack. Nah, 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 we ain't playing Biggie, man. I just dissed him. Here's my musical list. Come, come get it. Come get it. Man, I'll be damned if I'm going to be playing Biggie Small. Hell no. Here it goes. Here it goes. No, it ain't on my list. If it is, it's the wrong. Vertigo, YouTube, Vertigo, YouTube. Man. I heard enough of that yesterday. They were celebrating the life of that degenerate rapper, Biggie Small, saying he's GOAT, greatest of all time. Meantime, he was slinging crack to pregnant babies, grew up in the projects, had a good mother, sent him to Catholic school, went to Lachlan High School, the same high school that graduated, Mike Kumbada Chiefs, Rudy Giuliani in downtown Brooklyn, and he chose to leave that school. They didn't kick him out. He went to Westinghouse because he wanted to be hanging with Jay-Z, the other degenerate rapper who made his claim to fame by shooting his brother at 11 years old. (sighs) Man, let me see if you can find me. I need a little YouTube here. I need a little vertigo because that's what I was involved with just hours uh, ago in which, wow, I was in a vortex. I got to tell you, I was at the uh, Met... (laughs) Oh, 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 these people, they hate my guts. Uh, I was at the uh, Met Council, which does a lot of good work for poor Jewish folks. And I want to tell you, uh, they make sure that uh, poor Jews have matzo balls in their soup because I know there's a stigma out there. There's a stereotype that Jews, you know, they're all wealthy. They're all doing well. Quite a few are. But you'd be surprised at the number who are impoverished, especially the elderly, especially those who live in public housing. Quite a few do or live in tenements or haven't been able to uh, move out of their uh, their apartments because they're living on fixed income. So the Met Council has done good work over the years, uh, except uh, when I took Andrew Giuliani uh, this morning to the Met Council breakfast, uh, now that the uh, annual Salute to Israel Day Parade has been revived, after the lockdown and the pandemic hit March of 2020, that was it for this gathering and this parade, and folks came out, but it was mostly Democrats, so I figured we'd bum rush him. Andrew Giuliani had never been there. He's running for the gubernatorial nomination of the Republican Party. It's a very tough race. He's ahead in some polls, behind in some. The Congressman Lee Zeldin from uh, Suffolk County. Uh, Rob Astorino, the former Westchester County executive. And Harry Wilson. A really, really good run. Four, four primetime candidates. But Andrew has the edge. And I took him to that breakfast. And, oh, man, let me tell you something. He was making the rounds. People were seeing him. They were surprised. Well, Republicans are in this uh, breakfast because it was all Democrats. And it generally has been since the days of Shelley Silver. That's right, Shelley Silver, the Hyman Roth of the Democratic Party. The guy was a crook. And he took millions and swindled millions. 
And he used to divert money to the Metropolitan Council to do good work, except his chief of staff's husband was in charge, the CEO. And they raided their house and found a million dollars in cash stuffed in four shine shoe boxes. So that meant there were a lot of poor Jewish folks with no matzo balls in their matzo ball soup. And they put that guy in jail where he belonged. And then all of a sudden, Sheldon Silver, the Maya Lansky, the Hyman Roth uh, of the Democratic Party said, hey, I don't know, I don't know. Who was your chief of staff's husband? Well, she didn't know either. She claimed she didn't know that her husband was stashing cash in her closet that had more shoes than Emil DeMarcos had. And then so I was working the crowd today, and there was some of those Shelly Silver supporters still there, still grimacing, still angry at me. Because he had been released from Otisville upstate, and nobody knew it. It was on the down low, and I knew where he was going, his co-op in the lower, lower, lower east side. And so then I went and I rang his bell. People were saying, oh, come on, his name isn't on his bell. I said, I know Shelly. I've been dealing with Shelly for years. His name is on the buzzer. And it was. And listen to what transpired. And all of this ended up sending Shelly Silver back to Otisville to finish the, the time for doing the crime. Yes, Shelly? Yeah. Yeah, this is Curtis Slee with Shelly. I'm just making sure we're supervising to make sure you're in your apartment, Shelly. Yeah. All right, you're not going to go anywhere, right, Shelly? Nope. All right, you, you know, you belong back in jail. You should be in Otisville. Thank you. All right. Thank you. Yeah, he thanked me. You see, they say you're on supervised release, but they never supervised her. They didn't put any fortune off bracelet on his ankle. He was going to go out. He was going to start networking. I said, uh-uh, I'm the supervisor of his untimely release. And, you know, the very next day, the federal authorities said, how did he get out of jail? Like they didn't know. And they had him on a prison bus back to Otisville. So some of his associates and friends and political uh, cronies were quite upset that I was at their breakfast. Tough nuggies. Because after the breakfast, we broke out. It was hot. It was sweltering. It was 90 degrees. A lot of the Altacacas, rightfully so, could not be out on the parade route in Fifth Avenue. But you know who was on that parade? Mike Umbaricic, Rudy Giuliani, bum knee. At his age, schlepping up Fifth Avenue, the crowd went crazy for Rudy Giuliani. It's almost like he was Moses. And the Red Sea parted for him. And as he walked the entire parade route, people were stopping, taking pictures. Now, I would say about 5% of the crowd was giving him grief. And as he was walking along the crowd with Andrew Giuliani running for governor on the Republican line and yours truly and some of the guardian angels, I'd say about 5% of the people gave Rudy grief. And, I mean, he fired rhetorically right back. At one point, we had to hold him back. He was going to go over the barricades. The police are saying, Rudy, Rudy, calm down. Rudy, oh, no, let me tell you something. Uh, where were you when I saved this city? I think it was uh, probably a Dinkin supporter from a long time ago. Anyway, Rudy was fired up. He made it through most of the parade. It was a magnificent showing because naturally, like most celebrations, most parades, most supportive efforts, uh, they were on the shelf ever since the lockdown and the pandemic of March of 2020. Big WABC listening crowd. Big, 
huge WABC listening crowd. It's good to do those kind of events because not only do we do outreach to the community, but you, it's like a litmus test of who people are listening to, how long they're listening to the station, and whether they're supportive of the kind of uh, extraordinary cross-section of different talk show hosts and hostesses we have here at WABC. And there was no doubt Andrew Giuliani's running for governor. Uh, I just ran for mayor, but the moment Rudy Giuliani stepped out to Fifth Avenue, it was like he was mayor again. He was America's mayor. The Fifth Avenue parted like Red, the Red Sea he did for Moses. It was incredible. We got film of this. We got photographs of this. We're going to be posting it on all our social networking here at WABC. It was a magnificent effort. Great teamwork. And I want to salute all those uh, goy out there and the Jews who showed up to support the state of Israel because, boy, let me tell you, did I get an earful, a cauliflower ear, because, you know, the entes were all over me. Curse, curse. Uh, let me tell you, what, what, look at all this anti-Semitism. It's up 200% all over the country. There's been 51 assaults all throughout New York State since the beginning of the year. And I said, yes, yes, Sophie, you're absolutely right. Boy, they had these stats uh, analyzed and memorized, and they're acting like I was going to be able to do something about it by my lonesome self. I said, uh, did you have a chance to bring this to the attention of our brand-new mayor, uh, Eric Adams? Hadn't seen him. <laughs> So I guess I was the second choice. Anyway, ladies and gentlemen, let's fire up the discronificator. Let's get that spectrometer working. I know at our 50,000 powerful watts of sound, our Tower of Power in Lodi may be a potential meltdown out there because it is hot. It is sweltering. It is fierce out there. And hopefully Dan the Man, our crack engineer, isn't hanging out at uh, Bada Bing, the strip parlor right next door made infamous uh, in uh, Goodfellas, but is actually climbing the tower to do some of the adjustments. Remember, it's the disquantificator that quantifies all the calls that are coming in on the AM tower. AM standing for active-minded. Then we have our sister station, WLAR, out in the Hamptons, and uh, it is uh, FM. You know what that stands for. Freaking morons, feeble-minded, fornicating madly, free marijuana, and Frank Morano. But folks listening on the AM style, they have to filter their calls through the spectrometer, and then it's all conflated, and it comes right here into our studios. And soon at dusk, we will be heard in 38 states, parts of Canada, a sliver of England, and yes, down to Davy Jones's locker in the Bermuda Triangle. Let's fire up that technology. Let's make sure that Dan the Man isn't getting brumskis and lap dances at Bada Bing. Our number is 1-800-848-9222. That's 1-800-848-WABC. If you happen to be amongst the throng who turned out for the annual Salute to Israel Day Parade, because there hadn't been any since the lockdown and the pandemic crushed the life out of all the street activity in New York City back in March of 2020. Please call in. Let me know the experience that you had today because there was a lot of pride. Pride in America and pride in our best ally, the state of Israel. 1-800-848-9222. Then I had others who were saying to me, yeah, yeah, yeah. Curtis, you see? You see how Israel is doing with the Arab communities in Morocco, Bahrain, Egypt, the UAE? I said, yeah, yeah, yeah. And he said, you know, that was Trump. Uh, you know, that was his son-in-law. You know, uh, that, that's how that all came in. I said, yeah, yeah, I give him props. I didn't think they could do it. 
I thought there'd be a lot of mishigash going on when they moved the embassy right into Jerusalem itself, the holy city, of which I've been there on many occasions. I was wrong on that. And I didn't think the son-in-law would be able to actually sit down and develop a peace strategy with the Arabic-speaking countries as they are unified in their attempt to isolate and neuter and render impotent the Ayatollahs in the Persian state of Iran. And speaking of that, there were a lot of people uh, in up and down who were very, very upset about Joe Biden, our president, wanting to uh, once again re-engage the Iranians. Their attitude was, what's wrong? What's wrong with Joe Biden? I said, what are you asking me for? There obviously is something wrong with our president, Joe Biden. He's over in Asia. They say, yeah, yeah, yeah. But he's constantly trying to make nice to the Ayatollahs. He's the one who wants to restore Iran's nuclear deal with the world powers. Israel doesn't want to do that. Its Arab allies don't want to do it. Why is Joe Biden pushing it? And so... When you're dealing with the Jewish community, especially those who are loyal to the state of Israel, boy, they got their facts down. One guy was telling me, yeah, yeah, I see the Iranian demands that you remove the Islamic Revolutionary Guard Corps from the list of terrorist organizations. Can't do that. They're terrorists. But apparently Joe Biden and his secretary of state, Blinken, wants to do that. And none of them in that march could forget in 2015 how then-President Barack Obama gave the Ayatollahs $90 billion. And now Joe Biden, our president, wants to strike a deal. 1-800-848-9222. That's 1-800-848-WABC. The other surprise, surprise, like Goma Pyle. Surprise, surprise. We were the only contingent that was flying a Ukrainian flag. Now, remember... Back when the parade season started, everybody had a Ukrainian flag. It didn't matter what the ethnic festival. It could be a Chinese ethnic festival. You had Ukrainian flags. It could be an African-American Caribbean festival. You had Ukrainian flags. It could be a festival for indigenous, first world, native Indian peoples. You'd have Ukrainian flags. All of a sudden, they've disappeared. It's almost as if, well, that's just another news story. The Ukraine. So I was so proud of my oldest son, uh, Antony, who marched the whole route in the sweltering heat with a huge Ukrainian flag. Because there are a lot of Jews in the Ukraine, especially in Odessa, where I used to have guardian angels years ago. In fact, at one point before World War II, it was the third largest population of Jews in the world. Third largest. First was New York City. Second was Warsaw. And remember, this is before World War II. The third was Odessa in the Ukraine. And there's still quite a few Jews in the Ukraine. They're not the majority of the population. That's the Eastern Orthodox there. You have some Catholics and you have some Jews. And, yeah, you even have a few Muslims, too, in the Ukraine. But, boy, the people just lit up Anthony when that Ukrainian, he carried that Ukrainian flag. They were standing up. They were screaming, that's right. Let's not forget Zelensky's. He's, he's a landsman. And then you had this Herkimer jerk on the sideline going, Nazis, Nazis, Nazis. You know, right, right, right across from, uh, <laughs> right across from that Apple store, you know, near 59th Street, Columbus Circle with General Sherman. People were there screaming. You know, they had the schmatas on their heads. Uh, they were the ultra, ultra-Orthodox who hate the state of Israel. 
And he was screaming, Zelensky is a Nazi. I said, how the hell? He's a Jew. How can he be a Nazi? I mean, that's why I need him my vertical. Do you have vertical? Do you finally have this? I need vertical by YouTube. I don't need Biggie Smalls, that degenerate hip-hop monster who has been turned into a saint through beatification in New York City. Pump it up! Anthony was waving that Ukrainian flag up Fifth Avenue. The crowd was going wild. I thought back to two, count them two times that YouTube was in the subway doing a concert. The first one everyone recently saw in the deep recesses of the Kiev subway system, the deepest in the world. It goes down three levels. They did a concert. You remember seeing that? But that wasn't the first one they did. In fact, if you want to earn a Curtis Lee with Booby Prize, because trivia spurs other conversation, no matter what Frank Morano says about that, they also did a concert in our subway system here first, which preceded the concert by a few years in Kiev. What train station did they do it in, and who invited Bono and you 2 to do a concert in the subway system of New York City? Now, you know damn well. They wouldn't be doing that concert now, especially on a day like today where the headlines are blazing as bullets were flying in the subway this afternoon at 12 noon on the Q train as a gunman opened fire and shot a random victim and ran off the train free, loose, no arrests. As Fear City continues to percolate in New York City, Subway crime has risen 200%. It is so bad in the bowels of New York City that I guarantee you that Bono and YouTube would rather do a concert in the subway of Kiev than in the subway system of New York City because it's safer in Kiev. Our number is 1-800-848-9222. That's 1-800-848-WABC. Talk station with the king of New York. Curtis Lewa, 77 WABC. It was sweltering. The crowd grew. And they were flying the Israeli flag next to the red, white, and blue. And with patriotic pride, they were screaming at people on the other side of 5th and 57th who were screaming about Nakba. What is Nakba? That is what Arabs believe was the catastrophe of the establishment of the state of Israel in 1947. 
And I thought I was going to have to be a peacemaker there because both sides were ready to go at it with one another. One side, you had guys and gals with the uh, kafia on, even in the hot sweltering heat, the schmatas on their head. They were ready to start tossing rocks as if it was the Intifada number four. And on the other side, one group of tough Jews, man. They were, like, ready to get it on. And having been in Israel on three separate occasions, especially after the second Intifada, where no American ever went, and I did broadcasts from there, I could look into the eyes of some of the Israelis who were here for the Support the Israel Day Parade after it was on the shelf for two and a half years and see that they lived this life. And there were big signs up there that the Palestinians had in honor of AOC, all out crazy, Alexandria Ocasio-Cortez, Cori Bush, the congresswoman from Missouri, Jamal Bowman, remember that, Jamal Bowman from up in Rockland in Westchester County, and of course, Ilhan Omar. Oh, I thought we were going to get it on. And there was Rudy Giuliani right in the middle of it. Calm down, Rudy, calm down. <laughs> oh, WABC was like styling and profiling up Fifth Avenue. We had that parade because we have the pulse of the city, ladies and gentlemen. Our number is 1-800-848-9222. That's 1-800-848-WABC. Let's go to our phone lines from our AM uh, side of the dial, active-minded as it is. Our discronificator indicates that Leah is calling from Brooklyn. Your turn to be heard here at WABC, Leah. Yeah, hi. I was at the parade, and I want to say that they kept saying, give it up for Hochul, and it was crickets. You didn't hear a thing. And behind her was uh, de Blasio. That was even more nebuchadnezzar. That's all I'll say. No, no, no. Let me ask you a question, Leah, because you had a bird's eye view. That was the front of the parade. Uh, They wouldn't let us up there. You know, we had a sort of mind up piece and cues behind them. But you're right. Hochul was not well-received. Naturally, everyone saw Big Bird there, Comrade Bill de Blasio, who wants to run for the 10th Congressional District that includes some of Borough Park in Brooklyn. Uh, he got the uh, the Bronx jeer. And by the way, did you see uh, Mayor Eric Adams? No, I did not see him. Hmm. I don't know. Gee whiz, the swagger man? Wow. It's, uh, Leah, it was a lot of schwitzing out there, right? I mean, it was hot. Well, I was in the, in the shade, so I wasn't schwitzing. I know, I know. Hey, did you did you see Rudy come by with the Guardian Angels? Actually, no, I didn't. Oh, oh, you missed it. We were like a tsunami just rolling down Fifth Avenue. But you see, Leah, they wouldn't let us march up front because naturally they said, oh, this is for the Democrats. They're in power. You'll just have to stand to the rear. And, hey, you know, we didn't. Uh, Rody wasn't going to give him any beef because, remember, he was a mayor. He used to oversee the parade. At one point, uh, then-citizen Trump was actually the grand marshal of that parade. So Republicans have had their turn in being equally accepted in that parade. But I can't tell you this, Leah. How many Republicans did you see in that parade? You know, you have a lot of Democrats that turned Republican, a lot of those. Yes, yes, absolutely. Along the uh, along the piece, uh, the police rails, you could tell. You see, that's the problem. There are a lot of Jews 
who want to vote Republican, but they're Democrats. You know, their parents, their grandparents were Democrats. They've been Democrats. They will cross over. They voted for Rudy Giuliani to become mayor. They voted for Ronald Reagan. Many of them defied their own religious leadership, the ultra-Orthodox and the Hasinim, and voted for Donald Trump for the presidency. Some of them defied their leadership and voted for me, not to Lubavitchers. Oh, do I have it in for them? And I, I had some words with them at the breakfast. I said, hey, you know, when there was the pogrom, the riots, in 1991, in August, right, and everyone abandoned you. Abandoned the Hassan of Lubavitch, Menachem Schneerson. He gave me two Rebbe dollars. You know what that meant? Because the guardian angels were out there for 30 days and 30 nights protecting the Lubavitch that even their fellow Jews weren't there to protect as the city abandoned them. Oh, Curtis, don't get upset. Don't get upset. You know, please, please. Of course I'm going to get upset. Got to get upset. You got to remind people. You got to wake them up. You got to let them know. I will never forgive. I will never forget. Now, I know a lot of people say, oh, he's goy, you know, New Testament. Uh, you, you know, he turns the cheek. I don't turn my my frontal cheek, and I don't turn my tuchus to anybody either. I believe in Old Testament. I'm not forgetting Lubavitch. I'm going to keep coming to Crown Heights, Kingston. I'm going to keep going into 770 Eastern Parkway. I'm going to have to keep reminding all of you, when I needed you, where were you? Where were you? Oh, well, you know, yeah, yeah, you were davening, right? You didn't have me part of your minion. I was the righteous goyim, right? Oh, no, not for this one. Oh, too bad you couldn't see it today. Too bad we didn't have a film crew and we could have posted it all up on our WABCradio.com site, our Instagram. We could have tweeted it out. Oh, it would have been so good. We're going to have to do this in the future. What a tag team we were. Rudy Giuliani, Mike Humbadichich, yours truly. Almost like the three horsemen with Andrew Giuliani. We, we just dominated. 1-800-848-9222. That's 1-800-848-WABC. Let's go to Phyllis calling from New Jersey. Your turn to be heard here at WABC, Phyllis. Hello, Curtis. I have followed your career for years. I admire you so much. Well, thank you. And I have been, since you've been on ABC, whenever I could find you, I listen. as this afternoon uh Hall wins the um the democrat uh nomination which he will julie man williams gets booted out and she gets both nominations question to you if andrew wins the republican nomination will he get the conservative nomination too will they uh get rid of lee zeldin that's a interesting question i know all the uh, shot callers when it comes to the state gop Langworthy, I know the state chairman uh, of the conservative party. Uh, I don't know what their rules and regulations are in regards to that, uh, but I think something can be worked out. I can tell you this, as heated as it's going to get. And let me let me uh, salute my colleague, Sid Rosenberg. He was magnificent this last week. If, if you didn't hear him in the morning, uh, he cross-examined Lee Zeldin, Congressman Lee Zeldin, Andrew Giuliani, and Rob Astorino. He was magnificent. He asked tough questions. He was relentless. Uh, he didn't give him any wiggle room. He didn't uh, show favoritism towards one. In fact, I thought he was uh, he was a little harder on his favorite candidate, Congressman Lee Zeldin from uh, Suffolk. 
but I was so proud of what he was able to do in the morning show to bring to light a lot of subjects from uh, three guys running against uh, one another, along with Harry Wilson, which is going to be a very, very competitive race. But I will find out about that. Uh, I will tell you this. If Lee Zeldin does win, I will be backing him. I know Andrew Giuliani will be backing him. I know Rob Astorino will back him. Harry Wilson will back them. There's going to be solidarity. There's going to be unity. Uh, Rudy Giuliani will back uh, the Republican winner of the primary because we have to beat Hokum. It's not Hokel. It's Hokum because you know what Hokum means? Nonsense. And she's been full of nonsense. So it's going to be a bitter primary. This. Less than 40 days to go to June 28th. There's going to be a few debates coming up. The first one, I think, is on uh, CBS TV, Channel 2. And they may be one or more. Then the Democrats will have their own debates with uh, uh, with uh, Governor Holcomb. Uh, then there's Tom Swazi, who's trying to move to the right. Doesn't seem to be working for him. He's spending a lot of money in TV ads. He's just not moving uh, the dial. And then the worst candidate of everybody running, and this guy has no right ever to be a leader in New York City or New York State. He is the public advocate, Jumani Williams, the fake, phony, fraudulent, hypocrite that he is. Let me explain that he wants to end all prisons. He wants to hire no more police. He wants them to go through attrition. He has uh, been leading the effort to defund the police, defund prisons. And yet when he goes home at night, where do you think he rests his head? Out of, out of the five boroughs, all the neighborhoods that make up uh, the place that eight and a half million people sleep in and rest up in order to go out back to work and do it all over again. Jumani Williams, his house is in the active garrison of the Army base at Fort Har- Hamilton. That means every night a taxpayer-funded SUV driven by an NYPD police officer with a police detail escort him around all day at taxpayer's expense, even though he wants to defund the police. He has to show ID to the military police because he doesn't want anybody showing ID. And he lives in the safest place in all of New York City. Now, tell me, he is not a sanctimonious hypocrite? And you know why he does that? Because he can. And he thinks the voters are stupid and that they'll accept the fact that it's do as I say, but not as I do. Like so many politicians, Democrats and Republicans. Our number is 1-800-848-9222. That's 1-800-848-WABC. Let's go to Nick in Fairhaven, New Jersey. Your turn to be heard here on WABC. Nick. Curtis, I got a curveball for you. Uh, You know, I just found in the 90s, homicides is negative correlated with weed smoking so i think we should be getting everybody high instead of taking away gun rights for potheads well let's bifurcate that because you are in fairhaven new jersey Uh, new jersey is ahead of new york you have uh the legalized use of the recreational use of marijuana You have 13 licensed facilities now that not only sell medical marijuana, but sell uh, recreational use of marijuana. Uh, They've run out of marijuana because the law in uh, every state is you can only sell the marijuana that you grow in your state. So you can't import the marijuana. So believe it or not, the demand has been so great in the Garden State, New Jersey, that they've run out of marijuana. They have to make a decision. Who's more important? People who use medical marijuana? Of course they are. 
and they have a dilemma. But maybe, maybe we should take that marijuana and just use it exclusively for the people who now can qualify to get the recreational use of marijuana. No. Medical marijuana is more important than recreational use of marijuana if you have to just grow more crop. And then you have people who are being licensed to grow in New Jersey. And let me tell you something. When you get that license to grow, you're going to have to put the razor wire out there. You're going to have to put guard towers. You're going to have to have people with AK-47s protecting your crop. (laughs) What do you think? You just go out there and plant it like corn in the field? Look at Eric Adams, our mayor. Boy, is he in a drug-induced psychosis. He must be. He proposed growing marijuana on the rooftops of NYCHA housing facilities. There are 300 NYCHA facilities in New York City, close to 500,000 residents. Can you imagine if you were growing pot on the roofs of public housing projects? What kind of security you would need for that? Guy would say, you know, I'm just going to go sample some product. Don't worry about that. Take a few leaves, you know. Going to hang out in the uh, stairwell here. Going to hollow out a white owl and make me a blunt. Because they don't do verticals any longer. They're not patrolling the stairwell. So the thugs rule the public housing projects. Look, the other day in Williamsburg, there was the mayor downstairs in a public housing project. Somebody airmailed an energy drink. Ah! And they went running. I would have looked up. I would have said, you missed. You want to try again? The cops, they should have bum-rushed that public housing project, should have been in and out of there, make sure that whoever was responsible for that got locked up. And you know something? They didn't. And whoever did it and the others who were watching it say, we got it like that. There are no consequences. You could throw something at the mayor of the city of New York, miss him by 10 feet, and nobody got arrested. Nobody got rousted. Cops didn't go door-to-door on that public housing project. Who won that battle? It wasn't Eric Adams. It wasn't the NYPD. They retreated. The thugs won. If it was me, I would have looked up and said, you better improve your aim. You want to try again? Watch. That's what you got to do. You got to defy the thugs and thugettes. And you, you can't be doing murals. Like at the start of the program, the Biggie Smalls, that degenerate hip-hop monster. By the way, if they love Biggie Small so much, all these degenerate rappers, you know, Jay-Z, all the others, how come they haven't yet figured out who killed Biggie Smalls in Los Angeles? Because the code of the streets, the snitches get stitches and end up in ditches. Nobody talks. Nobody eats the Parmesan cheese, even when it's Biggie the goat, greatest of all time. Oh, Our number is 1-800-848-9222. That's 1-800-848-WABC. Let's go to Mary, who wants to talk about Mary Jane in the Bronx. Your turn to be heard here at WABC. Mary? Um, hi, I just wanted to say that the housing, the NYCHA housing projects roofs are not designed to support a dirt load to grow marijuana. And that would be a huge expense. Plus, um, it would interfere with the uh, exits from the housing project. So it's ridiculous that somebody would suggest that. Well, look, uh, he was trying to come up with different ideas. I think what he was thinking about was hydroponics, which you're right. The roof would not be the right place. And not only that, from a security point of view, you're not going to be growing marijuana on the rooftops of public housing projects without having a precinct up there to protect the crop. It's ridiculous. 
But then again, in this desire to uh, sell marijuana so that the state can tax it, the city can tax it, they, they don't have any clear ideas yet. New York will not be able to actually start selling uh, recreational use of marijuana until the end of this year because they haven't organized it expeditiously. They want to make sure that people who have had records, now get this, Mary, the people who are going to qualify to get a license to sell marijuana are people who have brought in bales of marijuana before, people who maybe who have been in federal prison or state prison for bringing in weight, which we call weight. And I'm scratching my head and say, that's the people you're going to have with the license to sell marijuana? I mean, if they want to compete for a license, that's fine. But we're holding up the show because you're trying to find who they are. They're obviously already doing it illegally. And I can bet you, Mary, they're not going to give up selling the product illegally because they're not taxing it. And, in fact, their customers are still going to be coming to them because the black market will sell it cheaper and, in some instances, better. Well, thank you very much. My pleasure. You see that satisfied Mary in the Bronx. What kind of a dumb idea to grow marijuana on the rooftops of public housing projects, right? Puff, puff, pass. Yeah, they'll all be hanging out on the rooftops. Oh, man. Purple haze. What happened to the crop? I thought we planted a crop like a month ago. There's nothing left. Our number is 1-800-848-9222. That's 1-800-848-WABC. Let's go to Jacqueline calling from Brooklyn. Your turn to be heard here at WABC. Jacqueline. Hi, Curtis. Good afternoon. It sounds like I riled you up a little bit with my question to you earlier this morning about uh, the different areas in Brooklyn that didn't support you, and now you're uh, riling, riled up against the Lubavitcher. But anyway, I wanted to ask you uh, about the, what you just said about Jamani Williams living at the Fort Hamilton Army Base. I thought only active military could live there. How does he qualify to live there? That's the question I keep asking, Jacqueline. So and it's in, another one of those fraudulent fugazi kind of deals. Well, not necessarily. Uh, I've known of a lot of nefarious types who have been housed on Fort Hamilton. Uh, I asked Rudy Giuliani, Michael Baricic, who used to be the U.S. attorney for the Southern District, and uh, arrested and convicted more members of uh, Italian organized crime than anyone else in the history of the Department of Justice, took out the five heads uh, of uh, organized crime, the Genovese, the Gambinos, the Lucchese's, the Bananos, the Columbos. And I said, Rudy, when you were the U.S. attorney for the Southern District, did you ever house any of your snitches on Fort Hamilton? And you know what he said, uh, Jacqueline? If I told you, I'd have to kill you. <laughs> no, he he was laughing. He was laughing. He goes, yeah, yeah, Curtis, you know, you know, you know how this works. Because when you have a snitch... When you have a confidential informer, you got to protect the confidential informer. You can't let them live out in the normal community because they, they could be in jeopardy. Now, I don't know if Jumani Williams is a snitch, but it's happened before where people on the inside of movements or supposedly in the leadership of movements have been compromised. A lot of people don't realize that Al Slim Shady Sharpton was wired up like a Christmas tree for the FBI when they were forever busting Italians. And this is back when you only had a landline. So all the civil rights leaders and others, advo- uh, advocates and, and uh, uh, activists, were calling him at his house in Bedford-Stuyvesant. 
and he was recording all those conversations for the FBI. They all knew it, but they forgave him, Jacqueline. They forgave him. I didn't think that Jumani Williams would have that many haters, but I guess you never know what goes on in politics. Or this is what usually happens, Jacqueline. The feds are on to you that you've had some uh, creative bookkeeping. Let's sort of describe it that way. Now, we got you on this charge, but we need you and your information to get a bigger fish. And so all of a sudden, you cooperate. You become a confidential informer, Jacqueline. You have to protect your confidential informers. Because what other reason would a guy who hates the military, hates the cops, wants to destroy prisons, why would he choose to live on an active military base, Fort Hamilton, in the garrison? I mean, what other reason can there be, Jacqueline? certainly have the inside track, Curtis. Well, look, uh, I know where everyone's bones are buried and who buried them. And I've been doing this for a lot, a lot of years. I've worked with the FBI. Remember, you had a number of members of organized crime who were trying to kill me. Some got pretty damn close. And I got to see how they worked confidential informants. There was a time in which the FBI knew who tried to kill me? Who kidnapped me? And they wouldn't give up their confidential informer, Jacqueline, because, oh, we can't give him up for Sliwa. Sliwa's a person of no confidence. We need that person embedded into the Gambino crime family so that we can get more information. Oh, so my life was of no consequence, huh, FBI? You notice how I have problems with a lot of different people, Jacqueline? Yes. <laughs> Your history precedes you. <laughs> oh, you weren't worth us giving up a confidential informant so we could solve the crime of who kidnapped you and who tried to kill you. And they knew it a year after the shooting. It took them 12 years to unseal an indictment against John Gotti Jr., the guy who shot me five times, Michael Leonardi, ironically from Canarsie. And the driver, Joey D'Angelo, of that stolen yellow cab that was going to be my, uh, was going to end up being my coffin in a chop shop where they would have ended up incinerating me. So maybe, just maybe, you would have found a little bit of my DNA. New York's talk station with the king of New York. Curtis Lewa, 77 WABC. I would never play that song. Louie, Louie, Louie. Spare me. I know it's on a list, but just come to me and I'll let you know what to play because i got to get into the flow. You know, this is something you would listen to Tony Orlando Saturdays 10 to 12, following Cousin Boosie from 6 to 10. Even Vinnie Maduno, who is now such a phenom that he'll not only be heard... Uh, right before Cousin Brucey, he's uh, Cousin's uh, protege. Uh, he'll be on from uh, 5 to 6, but he's also going to be on Sundays also from 5 to 6. I mean, this guy is talent on loan from Stacks of Wax. You wouldn't think it from a young guy like him, but he's got a feel for this. He's a teacher by day at Richmond High School in Staten Island in the shadow of the Bayonne Bridge. 
and he loves his craft of music. And I got to tell you, he did a performance side by side with Joe Piscopo, who's coming up from six to eight uh, on the uh, Sinatra show, uh, Ramsey Subaru Sinatra show. And I mean, even Joe Piscopo said, wow, this kid's got talent. I mean, he got up there, he sang all kinds of renditions. And then he did Jay Black. I closed my eyes. I was sitting there because this was our ratings party. Uh, Deservedly so, a lot of our personnel behind the scenes were given credit for the fact that we had become the number one news talk station in the nation after we had descended into the abyss. I mean, we were going, going, almost gone before John and Margot Katsimatidis of Red Apple Media rescued us. Then got WABC back on track. We are now back to being the number one news talk station in the nation. And so it was a celebration of all those people behind the scenes. Oftentimes, many of them, they never get uh, their due recognition. Well, Red Apple Media made sure that everybody was recognized, not just the people you hear on this station, but the people who make it all possible. And then it was time for performance. And actually, Joe Piscopo got up and did his Frank Sinatra renditions, and nobody does it better. But nobody had heard Vinnie Maduno perform. He did a Bobby Vinton song. He did a number of different songs. But when he did Jay Black, Jay Black and the Americans, you know, at one time, they were the number one group in America before the Beatles came over. Number one, they filled Madison Square Garden three nights in a row. These are boys who were from Brooklyn and the Rockaways. And the pipes, Jay Black, you know, he had that acapella, hit those high notes. Vinnie Maduro hit those high notes. Everybody in that room closed their eyes. They thought that they were listening to the spirit of Jay Black, who passed away a while ago. Boy, that's how good this young man is. You don't want to miss it. Uh, The whole weekend is chock full of entertainment now. So you got Vinnie Maduro, who's on from 5 to 6 on Saturdays before Cousin Brucie, 6 to 10, and then Tony Orlando from 10 to 12. And then remember, it's me. From 12 midnight to 6, Saturdays, and then Sunday. And then you're going to have Vinnie Maduno from 5 to 6, followed by Jersey Joe. Joe Piscopo doing the Sinatra show. Ramsey Subaru. And then uh, Dina Martin from 8 to 9, doing a retrospective on her father, Dean Martin, who came from Steubenville, Ohio, who was friends with Jimmy the Greek, uh, the great odds maker. And then it's Curtis Lee back from 9 to 11 with the uh, news of the day and the commentary. And then the most listened to, most requested of the many hours that I do at WABC, in which the acronym seems to stand for always broadcasting, Curtis, the Animal Welfare Hour with my wife, Nancy, who is an animal rescuer par excellence. Uh, and all, all the questions you have on animal issues uh, will be answered. And then starts the cycle all over again. That's why. We have become the number one news talk station in the nation, and I declare it to be the number one entertainment station in the nation because you get your news, your information, but you get a whole hell of a lot of entertainment to boot. Keep it right here at 77 AM WABC. Talk station with the king of New York. Curtis Lewa, 77 WABC. Uh, 
I think I'm going to go out in the hot sweltering heat and melt down. Oh, it's a double Dutch bus. We're going to get to the uh, subject matter of bus drivers for the MTA, the money-taking agency, being attacked on a regular basis now, spat upon, violated, beaten, and begging that police officers uh, actually be assigned to riding the buses. Well, that ain't happening because they're not even riding the subways. We'll get to that momentarily. I'll give you a whole crime blotter report. But I want to pimp off of the story that was um, at the tail end of the newscast. And it had to do with what a lot of people were speaking about at the Support to Israel Day Parade today before it got started. What is the monkeypox? What is the monkeypox? And we heard our news guy sort of give you the hors d'oeuvre. But I think I'm going to serve you up the entree because it's a lot more serious uh, than the news is making it out to be. Our mayor, Eric Adams, basically flipped it off. He said, ah, it's no big thing. Sounded like Dr. Fauci. Remember way back when he was interviewed by our own John Katsimatidis right before the Lunar New Year. Seems like another lifetime. January of 2020. Where uh, Dr. Fauci said, oh, coronavirus, no biggie. It was like one case in Washington State outside of Seattle. Don't have to wear masks. Nah, nothing to worry about. Oh, boy, was he wrong. (laughs) From that day, January, uh, when he was talking to our own John Katsimatidis, and that interview went viral, to just two months later, a total and complete lockdown of our country in March of 2020. So Eric Adams and other health care officials seem to be flicking off this um, this monkeypox. And I got to tell you, you cannot flick it off. Let me just tell you, since I did a deep dive on this, health officials said masks are effective at preventing the spread of monkeypox. <laughs> We've been down this road, haven't we, with coronavirus and the many variants and now COVID-19? Health officials said masks are effective at preventing the spread of monkeypox. Now, they claim that it's mostly transmitted now through sexual networks, as our newscaster said, mostly uh, sex between men. But it's not only that. Its origin is in Central Africa, in the Congo. The same place, if you remember, during the Barack Obama administration that Ebola, flesh-eating virus, emerged. And remember, there was a panic around that because it was devastating to a lot of the uh, Africans living in the Congo and living in the surrounding areas of Central Africa. So much so that uh, we were putting a quarantine on those people who were traveling from Central Africa to all parts around the world. I'll never forget at the time, Shamu El Jefe, Chris Christie, when he was governor of New Jersey, decided to quarantine a volunteer nurse who had left Vermont to go work in the Belgian Congo in her hazmat suit and her respirator, because that's how bad Ebola, the flesh-eating virus, was. And wouldn't let her leave Newark International Airport, even though she had uh, passed all the protocols. It was really dumb on his part. 
Eventually, she was able to extricate herself and go back to Vermont. But it stifled the number of people who wanted to go over there and deal with that dreadful disease. And eventually, we got a handle on it. But that, too, was a virus. And I know a lot of people were frightened when they would hear Ebola, the flesh-eating virus. Well, now, all of a sudden, we have the monkeypox. And I'd like to open up the phone lines on that because I know many of you are curious Many of you are beginning to connect the dots. Many of you have some idea, but not a full idea, of what this new virus, monkeypox, is that's been around since 1958. We just haven't seen it expand beyond Central Africa and Nigeria. So it was mostly in the Congo, mostly in Nigeria. And then all of a sudden, uh, there was uh, 12 cases in the U.K., A number in other countries, Brussels now is uh, quarantining areas in which they believe the monkeypox virus uh, uh, has been spreading. Uh, There have been cases in uh, Canada and cases here in the United States. And let's face it, it's not going to remain dormant. It's going to double and triple and quadruple because of sexual contact. That's the main way that it gets transferred. But I'll bet you there are other ways, too. We found that with HIV AIDS. Initially, it was sexually transmitted between males. And then we found out that you could have sex with an infected male who could then infect a female. Then if you were using needles and you were sharing needles, you could get HIV AIDS that way. So, again, it begins to expand and expand and expand. And I just don't think... uh our healthcare officials are taking it as seriously as they could because maybe a lot of them are thinking about when they were children and they had chicken pox. Remember when you first came down with chicken pox, especially you baby boomers? Uh, it was such that oftentimes your mothers and fathers or your aunts and your uncles would take you to a chicken pox party because they would want you to get chicken pox from some of your friends and relatives so you could build up an immunity. And then we developed a vaccine, and you didn't really hear about chicken pox until, like, uh, pretty much the early 1970s. It was wiped out. The more serious pox is smallpox. 300 million people have died from smallpox since 1900. That is very contagious. That's a virus where you get a fever and a rash. It's person-to-person contact. It's life-threatening. And luckily, they came up with a vaccine again, which pretty much eliminated it globally. But this monkeypox, they haven't yet quite gotten a grasp on it. But let's open up our phone lines on that. 1-800-848-9222. That's 1-800-848-WABC. The uh, virus was first identified in monkeys, and it was in, yes, laboratories. Now... You know, I don't think we're talking Wuhan like we saw in mainland China. I don't think we're talking uh, about uh, bio uh, labs that may have existed in the Ukraine. There's been talk about that. But I will tell you, in all these bio labs, what do they do? They experiment on animals and they experiment mostly on monkeys. And we're always thinking, oh, it comes from the wilds. You know, it's the monkeys who are in the forest and the jungles. No. Some of these viruses actually come from the um, the monkeys 
that they experiment on in these laboratories who then end up dealing with other monkeys as they are subject to do, and maybe even humans, and then the spread begins. With the Ebola flesh-eating virus, the way it was being transferred to humans was that in the Congo, they would actually slaughter monkeys in the, uh, in the jungle, and they would eat their flesh. And through the flesh, they were catching the Ebola flesh-eating virus. So we need to put our full effort into looking at this and studying it and trying to stop it from spreading. Because anytime anything is spread by sex, it's going to explode. That's why you have the Department of Health. That's why they send out letters to many of our staff here. You get a letter in the mail, anonymous. Please give the Department of Health a call. You may have had a number of contacts of late, and we need to do tracer contacts with them because you have syphilis. Ah! Now, that's a virus that's been around in almost perpetuity. Or it could be warts. It could be any number of things that can transmit a virus. That's why you have a Department of Health. They try to keep it on the down low. They try not to inform everybody. But they want contact tracing of everybody you've dealt with because that's the only way they could track it down. And then hopefully there's enough penicillin to deal with it. Oh, the miracle drug. Penicillin, thank God. Didn't come around in time for Al Capone and a whole bunch of others. Anyway, our number is 1-800-848-9222. That's 1-800-848-WABC. Some of the other facts that we're learning about when it comes to um, the monkeypox is that it is, um, it's, it, it's now being taken by the World Health Organization. That's right. Who, who, who? And there's been a lot of talk of late, especially here at WABC. I know that uh, Bo Snurdly and some of the other programs have delved into the fact that maybe the Biden administration, through our Department of Health, are uh, giving up a lot of our determinations over health care policy in the United States to who, who, and I'm not talking the rock group, the World Health Organization. But there are reports about 6,000 cases annually in Nigeria alone. Have any of you ever traveled to Lagos in Nigeria? It's an advanced country. There's a lot of travel in and out of Nigeria. A lot of truckers who take their oil, because they have a lot of oil there, and transport it all throughout the continent of Africa. And a lot of Nigerians travel to the U.K., I mean, I ran into Nigerians in South Africa. They speak the Queen's English. And let me tell you, (laughs) this can spread globally. Nobody seems to be taking it all that seriously. Remember, there was that moment that Dr. Fauci got onto an interview with our own John Katsimatidis in January of 2020 and said, ah, no big deal, coronavirus in that uh, little town outside of Seattle. Nothing to worry about. Yeah, you don't need any masks. Two months from there, complete lockdown. (laughs) Two months, 60 days. Because nobody was taking that seriously. Not serious enough. And then look at what it did to our economy. Look at what it did to our quality of life. Look at how it turned us topsy-turvy. Not just here in the United States, but all across the world. 
Anyway, let's go to Jordan, who's on the line from Boca Raton, the sixth borough of uh, the city of New York, since so many people go there. Your turn to be heard here at WABC. Hey, Curtis, how are you? I've had better days. I've had better days, Jordan. <laughs> well, listen, I, you know, last night I, I started watching Saturday Night Live, and I, I turned it off, and I started to just turn on the radio and listen to you. So because of you, I'm exhausted today. Your program is amazing. I mean, you're, you're, I, I love listening to you. The New York nostalgia is unbelievable. Um, yes, Boca Raton is a six borough, so it's good to hear what you have to say. Um, also, interestingly, about the, the, the um, uh, monkeypox, there's a case in Bellevue right now, and I actually was a resident back when you were shot and you were taken to Bellevue in 1992. So just a little fun fact, but I, I can't thank you enough. Uh, please keep on doing what you're doing. You're, you're awesome. You know, uh, Jordan, what, uh, what was your work role uh, back in Bellevue when they wheeled me into uh, the ICU with the bullet wounds? I was actually a, an endodontic resident, a root canal specialist. So I, I covered the VA, Bellevue, and NYU Hospital. So I was there as a resident for three years. You know, um, we failed to recognize nurses about, oh, about 10 days ago, two weeks ago, was the week where generally we would give recognition and attention to the all different kind of nurses who staff hospitals, who staff clinics, uh, the visiting nurse service, who go to people's homes. Uh, I got to tell you, my experience at Bellevue, the doctors were good. Dr. Uh, Leon Pachter, who resides in uh, Rockland County now, he's uh, the head of surgery at NYU now. His team, they saved my life, there's no doubt about it. But it was the Filipino nurses, the Filipino nurses, Jordan, who morning, noon, and night knew more about my case, more about the things that had to be done for me and other patients, including guys from Rikers Island. A lot of people don't realize, I'm sure you you were privy to that, that it seemed like every second person in Bellevue was handcuffed to their bed because they were getting an operation. They were, they were inmates at Rikers Island. Yeah, it was a holding tent for Rikers Island. So it's actually, it was, it, was, it was actually fun. You know, there's like a mini jail inside Bellevue. Yeah, and then they get, they're getting knee replacements at taxpayers' expense. I'm like, what? Yep. No, no, no. But uh, Bellevue, you know, it's a huge municipal hospital, but it's a lot better than you would think a municipal hospital would be. Really, a top-flight medical care. And, uh, Jordan, on behalf of all those um, unrecognized nurses, whether they're Filipinos, whether they're Caribbean, whether they're from the uh, uh, eastern part of Europe, where many of them come now, or they're homegrown Americans, we don't give them enough attention and recognition. They oftentimes, Jordan, know more about your chart, more about your medical history, more about your medications, more about your therapy than your attending physicians. Exactly. Well, do appreciate it. Enjoy the sixth borough of the city of New York and understand my mission is when I do overnights, as I do uh, Saturdays from 12 midnight to 6, so nice that they have me do it twice, Sundays 12 midnight to 6, it's to amp it up to the point where you can't go to sleep, where you, if you weren't suffering from insomnia, you will now, because I don't want to give you a moment in which you're going to, like a... A driver of an 18-wheel tractor-trailer, you're going to shift gears. That's my role. It's theater of the mind. It's a lot different than the program I'm doing now, which is uh, more factoid-influenced. 
with the news of the day. I've already hit you with a number of stories. Let me hit you with another one. And let's see how astute, how cogent, how adept you are at figuring this out. Last night, uh, just before I came on the air at 9.30, two men and a woman took a Honda CVR at gunpoint in Howard Beach from an off-duty NYPD police officer. Stole his wallet. The next thing you know, the car was found out in the Rockaways, the Honda CVR. The suspects remain at large. Two men and a woman. How were they able to carjack? Because that's really what they did. An off-duty cop. Some of you should be able to figure this out. It's happening all over our city. Every other week, it's happening in our city, either to off-duty cops, off-duty correctional officers, members of the sheriff department, members of law enforcement. Let's see if anybody's astute, anybody street smart enough to know why these guys are getting jammed up and their cars are either getting carjacked or they're getting robbed at gunpoint. They're having to give up their valuables, and it is really humiliating and embarrassing because these thugs get to drop on our law enforcement uh, members who are off-duty. 1-800-848-9222. That's 1-800-848-WABC. Let's go to Pamela calling from Central Jersey. Your turn to be heard here at WABC, Pamela. Yeah, is it any any wonder we have mo- uh, monkeypox with the border being open? And the president this morning was saying, well, I don't know. The health people don't know why we have it. And Ebola, Ebola is still out there, and uh, it, it was just contained. But now we have monkeypox. Thank you, Democrats. Well, remember, we've had monkeypox since 1958. Something has happened to suddenly a wave of it has left Central Africa, the Congo, and Nigeria, and is swept through Europe, just starting to hit Canada and the United States. You know it's already out there. I mean, if if this is transferred by guys having sex, what do you think? All of a sudden, they're stopping. No more sex. We're not going to have any sexual contact. We're going to have safe sex? Ma my. It doesn't happen with heterosexuals. It doesn't happen with gays. Well, it can, it's airborne also, coughing. Yeah, well, you yeah, see, that's, that's why I started off describing it to you, that health officials said masks are effective at preventing the spread of monkeypox. So here we go again. Yep, and, and that's why we have borders, because borders help protect us to some extent. Yes, you're absolutely right. When you're allowing people to come across the border uh, and there's uh, no focus on uh, coronavirus in this case, all the variants, COVID-19, all the other uh, medical issues uh, that are transpiring. I I, I, I told the story late last night. I know probably, Pamela, you weren't listening, but my father, merchant seaman for 54 years, would go to the Maritime Hospital on Staten Island on Bay Street. Before it was the Maritime Hospital, it had been the hospital where you would be assigned if you had come to Ellis Island, if you had traveled over the Atlantic Ocean to Ellis Island and you were coughing or you had a fever or you had an illness of an undetermined nature, they would house you there. And hopefully, uh, you know, you would recover. If you didn't recover, they would ship you back to your country of origin. One time, there was a virus that spread to the south shore of uh, Staten Island near uh, Tottenville. 
And they couldn't figure it out. And you know what the local residents did, Pamela? What? They came to that hospital with torches and they burnt the hospital down. Huh. Is that where they put Typhoid Mary? Typhoid Mary was under arrest. No, no, that was uh, right there in the East River. The islands you see in the East River, Roosevelt Island, all those islands, uh, you know, that are interconnected. No, no, this is uh, out in Staten Island on Bay Street. They burnt the hospital down. How do I know that? My father not only took me uh, through uh, the different floors of the Maritime Hospital, but there was a historian there while I was waiting for him to get uh, attended. He he had uh, knee surgery. The historian was telling me the story. Crowds of people came out of the Tottenville section with pitchforks and torches. The people who had been processed from Ellis Island were running for their lives because they didn't know what this virus was. It was killing people. It was airborne. So they torched the hospital. Uh, I would say that's a little radical, very radical. Let's go to Joe Giuseppe, who's calling from North Arlington. Your turn to be heard. He had WABC, Giuseppe. How you doing, Curtis? I've had, I know you had better days. I know you had better days. Yes. Last time we spoke was the day before your operation, when I told you the world's a better place for you in it. Oh, thank you. And, uh, and uh, that being said, the cops in New York City... I don't understand. They, they they lost their immunity. What are they supposed to do? Tackle somebody and put them in a foothold? Yeah, no, they've been stripped of their qualified immunity. Uh, the court case just was resolved where it was being challenged because they were no longer permitted to put their hands on your diaphragm. Now, I don't know about you, Joe. I can't find my diaphragm, my solar plexus. I can't even find my goiter. But now a cop has to treat you with TLC, tender loving care, because according to rules and regulations that were created not by police trainers, but by folks who grow barnacles on their backside and hate cops, they can't even touch a suspect. They can't chase a suspect. They can't tackle a suspect. They just have to watch a suspect run away. That's amazing. It is. It is. And there is a guy, Donovan Richards. Let's call him up. Name him and shame him. That's why I've been criticizing the mayor, Eric Adams. He's, he's saying the right things, but he's not naming and shaming people. Donovan Richards, Queensboro president now, when he was in the city council from southeast Jamaica, he was in charge of the public safety division, and he was the one who scripted the new law that basically said cops cannot be touchy and feely, hands off, don't touch the diaphragm, don't touch the solar plexus, don't touch the goiter. By the way, uh, by the way, where the hell is the goiter? Not the girdle. Even guys wear girdles nowadays. Where the hell is the goiter? You're not permitted to touch the goiter. one 800 I put the shout-out out there. Come on, some of you street-smart guys. This cop, off-duty cop in Howard Beach, got carjacked by two guys. And let me give you the key to this. And a woman... Took his wallet, no doubt took his gun, then drove the car to the Rockaways and ditched it. Why is this happening ever so many times to off-duty cops, to off-duty correctional officers, 
to off-duty members of public safety. Come on. You should be able to connect the dots. This is an easy one. God, you don't have to be... You don't have to be Sergeant Joe Friday to figure this one out of Dragnet. 1-800-848-9222. That's 1-800-848-WABC. Let's go to Sonny, who's calling from Staten Island. Your turn to be heard here at WABC, Sonny. Yeah, Curtis, at first I want to say you have a great show. I can't even go out of my house because I'm stuck here listening to you. I can't get away. You're like habit forming. (laughs) Addictive. (laughs) Addictive. (laughs) That's right. No, but but seriously, uh, I want to give a shout out. You were talking earlier about the the Filipino nurses. I mean, I had seven invasive operations, you know, this year alone, and they're everywhere. They, They give great care, unbelievable care, and they're just very, very pleasant. But um, but on the negative side of them, I don't know how they voted for a dictator this year of, of Bond, the son of of their former president. It's it's amazing how this guy won. But I had to just nope. say that. No, nope. yeah, I'll tell you why. It's like nepotism. It's nepotism. Uh, they are no different than us. It is a thriving democracy. Remember, the Philippines was fashioned by General MacArthur after World War Two to have a lot of what America has. And I will tell you, I spent time there. I have guardian angels uh, down in Mindanao, which is the real hot spot. Boy, they got a Muslim separatist. They got thugs. They got communists in the hills. But I will tell you this. Their politics is volatile. If you're the son or the daughter, even of an infamous person like Marcos or the present leader, Duarte, who's a total nut job, Loves the guardian angels, Duarte, but he's a complete crackpot nut job who who executes people that he thinks are drug dealers. He's term limited out. His daughter is the vice president, Sonny. So you have Marcos's son, who is now the president, duly elected, fair election, and Duarte's daughter is the vice president. They love nepotism in the Philippines. But you're correct. But a little bit more than that, there's a lot of money there that they got from when he was his father was the president. And then he was exiled to uh, Hawaii, along with Amel Marcos. And what I don't care for this, I mean, we're great allies of us. But that money, it followed Amelda and her husband. And and we don't know what happened to all that money, but it's probably returned back to the Philippines. And that's what made their election because it topped it off with all that money. Yeah. And it's and I know. Let me tell you, so I know thousands of Filipinos personally, thousands of them. Yeah, I'm, I'm in their society and everything. Everybody knows me. But yeah, there's a lot of corruption going on, there, and that's very, very well. That's the the reformers had their opportunity. Corazon Aquino, who was the wife of Aquino, who had been assassinated on the orders of Ferdinand Marcos. When he got off that flight, when he was coming back to his country, uh, Corazon Aquino, though, just didn't. She wasn't able to control the country. Her son ended up uh, getting elected. I was there when there was a almost a coup d'etat. I was in their White House. I was an invited guest. It's like a million Filipinos outside. And the president, a female president at that time, said, Curtis, don't worry about it. We got it in check. I said, there's a coup d'etat going on. They've come from all different parts, villages. They traveled miles to be outside. It was peaceful. But at any point, they could have launched a coup d'etat. It's a great laboratory to watch the politics of people 
who have been so taken advantage of at a point where they're ready to sack their leadership. Luckily for them, they didn't go that route. By the way, I threw the landline out to all of you. You haven't yet figured it out. The story of the night in Howard Beach, off-duty cop in his car, ends up getting carjacked. Car gets taken out to the Rockaways. Three suspects flee. A woman, that's a key, a woman and two guys. Haven't you figured it out yet what happened? Because it's happening all over the city every week. And nothing's being done in law enforcement to stamp it out. 1-800-848-9222. New York's talk station with the king of New York. Curtis Lewa, 77 WABC. Great song by Billy Preston. Used to be the opening act for the Rolling Stones. But boy, are we going around in circles. Earlier, guy is on the N train right before noon. Just caps a guy right in the head. Kills him. Runs off. Crime has skyrocketed. Violent crime in the subways. 200%. People are not going to fill these offices. Only 8% of the office space is being used. Not because of COVID-19. Not because of monkeypox. But because of crime. And especially in the subways. And especially female workers who are the majority who have told me and will tell their stories over and over how they are scared to take the subways morning, noon, and night because the crime is so out of control. Nothing is being done. They need to have cops on the moving trains. This guy pulled out his gun on a moving train and shot the victim dead and escaped. Everybody's going to find out about this. Everyone can then imagine themselves in that situation before 12 noon. Not 12 midnight, 12 noon. No cops. Let's see if the video cameras worked. You know, in Jose's bodega upstairs, they're always working. But somehow they don't work in the subway system. The MTA, the money-taking agency, which just last week spent $30 million dollars to build a stairway with 28 steps in Times Square. $30 million. Gives you an idea of what happens to our tax dollars. That's why I call it the money-taking agency. one 800 Oh, I think uh, Larry is very close. He's very warm here, Larry and Woodside. Uh, I think maybe I threw out enough uh, progressive breadcrumbs that you have figured out what this case in Howard Beach involving an off-duty cop involved and some other cases similar to that around the city? Uh, Yeah, well, it seems to me that it's uh, sort of a prostitution deal where the cop gets enticed, it's in, and then they uh, mug him. The honeypot. Exactly. And this is how it works, Larry. It's snared correctional officers, cops, public safety officers, deputies of the sheriff's department. Uh, uh, It's simple because they use the Internet. They're usually very young women in their early 20s. 
who engage you, uh, social networking, could be Instagram, could be um, other social networking uh, outreach they do. And they schedule a time where they're going to meet you. And they end up sitting in a car and, you know, you're propositioning them because you're all hot to trot. I mean, here it is, this young, voluptuous woman. She's like 22. Oh, my God. How did I get so lucky? And just as you're having that urge to merge, Larry, two guys roll up on you, put guns to your head, and say, your vehicle or your life. And notice, the woman was part of the two-man team. They drove to the Rockaways, and I bet you I know where they dumped that vehicle. Right out of Redfern, Auburn, Edgemere. Pick your housing project there in Far Rockaway. That's what they always do. Huh? Yeah. It's been going on a long time, even with streetwalkers. Well, I tell you, the most recent case, uh, and this time the correctional officer got the drop on the two thugs, 183rd Street, Young Hispanic, uh, young lady, really drop-dead gorgeous, about 22. I saw a photo of her, and she came into the car, and naturally she distracted the guy, this correctional officer, who said, oh, my God, this is better than Powerball. This is better. Oh, I, I'm, I'm so lucky. Why would this woman want to have anything to do with me? And then all of a sudden they pulled the guns on him. But, you know, correctional officers can carry a firearm. He pulled his gun out of his ankle. He blasted both of them, and then he aimed it at her and said, Honey pot, <laughs> that's it. You're not making churning out any more honey. He got to drop on them. But this is happening all over the city. You would think that there would be all kinds of detailed memorandums being issued to the police officers, correctional officers, others to say, you are specifically being targeted. Don't fall for the honeypots because then they go, these criminals go into the hood and they brag that they took off a cop or a correctional officer or a sheriff. You think they're going to do anything about it, Larry? Uh, No, probably not. It was the... The records won't show uh, what's really going on. Well, it's interesting. I could be wrong. I've been wrong before. Just my gut sense is it's happening so often now in the five boroughs of the city of New York. This has all the makings of another honeypot uh, dealing with a off-duty cop. He's all flummoxed. He's for toots. <gasps> he has vapors. And then the homies show up, man, and they put the guns to his head. <laughs> it said, give us, that's right, give us that fob. They don't even say keys anymore. Give us the fob. Out of the car. And the next thing he has is his manhood in his hands and nothing else. They take the wallet. They take the gun. They take the badge. They take the SUV. He has Ugats. He has Bupkis. Curtis, aren't you over-exaggerating? Come on, how do you know this to be true? Well, if you're out in the streets, let's face it, it's working. So why wouldn't you keep milking it? And then thugs, you know, this is their business. They communicate with one another. They could be in lockup. Let's say they're on Rikers Island. They're only going to be there a few months. What do you think? They're they're investing in in stocks and bonds? They're talking about crime. They say, oh, we used this honeypot, man. We were able to get over three times. We were able to carjack and then bring that vehicle to the chop shop in Hunts Point. And, boy, it was a payday. And they spread that information. And dopey correctional officers and cops go for it. Hook, line, and sinker. Wake up, guys.
Notice they're not targeting the females, only the males. <laughs> Connect the dots. Let's go to Lou in Long Island. Your turn to be heard here at WABC, Lou. Yes, good afternoon, Curtis. Um, this is a fact that uh, medical uh, agencies advocate for Philippine nurses to the hospitals because they work for half the pay of established nurses. I know a nurse for, that's been uh, practicing for 40 years, and I hate to say it, but they despise the Philippine nurses. Look, and, yeah, have you have you ever been to the Philippines, Lou? No, no, sir, I have not. Let me let me explain some of the conditions that these people, hardworking people, live in. Uh, when I was going into the outer neighborhoods, I was shocked. They would have these cargo containers that you would normally see on top of ships, you know, coming through the Straits of the Verrazano, through the Kilvan Cull, Arthur Kill, you know, all these cargo containers stacked up on these cargo container ships, and they live in them. And they live in it. That's their house. They have no money. They're impoverished. They get an opportunity to become a nurse. They, naturally, they have to study uh, but they could be, a, you know, an RN initially and then start dedicating their life. And I, I got to tell you, my experiences with them is they are hardworking, dedicated. Many of them are very religious, loose, so they take this as a vocation, you know, to try to save life, to try to tend to people's wounds and suffering. And there are other nurses, not just Filipinos who do likewise, but there's not enough nurses, Lou. There is an unbelievable shortage of all types of nurses, not only in New York City, in New York State, and all across the nation. What are we going to do, Lou? I agree. They are hardworking nurses. I am just telling you the uh, reality of the financial aspect of it. No, you're right. It is true. A good OR nurse could make upwards of 80 and $90 an hour, easily, some 100, 110. That same Filipino nurse, now to be an OR nurse, you have to be around for quite a while. You have, really have to know your, your stuff. But once they get to that level, they are still going to be paid less than a nurse. And I hate to say it again, an American nurse or a, a citizen from this country, it is the fact. I know many nurses, they are kind of ticked off. No, 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 but their enemy, their enemy is not the Filipino nurse or the immigrant nurses who are filling the void. Their enemy is, is that we have an establishment that does not prioritize nurses. They prioritize doctors and specialists. And I have been in situations medically where I have been so befuddled because... It was the nurse who knew more about my situation. And as many of you know, I've been in some really bad situations where if the nurse hadn't done an intervention, had the doctor on call did what he felt he had to do, I would have been paralyzed in one time. And the doctor acknowledged that. He thanked the nurse for doing an intervention. But, you know... You're not able to move. You're in a bed. The guy walks in. He's the doctor. Figure the doctor knows everything. The doctor oftentimes turns to the nurse, and the nurse tells him what to do. 1-800-848-9222. Let's go to Chris in Westchester. Your turn to be heard here at WABC, Chris. Yeah. Yeah, hi, Curtis. Uh, I heard you talk about monkey packs before, but uh, I'm new to this. Uh, I, I just wonder is this another, another election steal coming? 
All right, now, Chris, you you got to speak directly into the microphone because you're you're vacillating. Your voice is uh, sort of uh, we're, we're we're missing the viscosity of your voice there. If you get to drift, oh, thank you. Okay, I'll stand still now. Much better. Uh, do Much I better. smell? Do I smell another election fraud coming with with monkeypox? The same uh, I, mail-in. I would business? I would not rule it out. I know it sounds very conspiratorial, Chris, but we've already seen what happened in the last national election cycle where people, because of fear, fright, hysteria and hype, were being uh, told, uh, just uh, put your put your, your paper ballot, Get, do it on paper. Don't bother coming to the polling location. I mean, they had people terrified. And monkeypox may be one of these viruses that will give people pause or concern about coming and doing uh, their voting uh, uh, privilege, because it is a privilege, at a local polling station. Uh, You know, again, we have to deal with it. It is a growing problem, uh, whether it's being done uh, to... uh, Uh, to create a situation where they'll have to have paper as opposed to people showing up uh, in polling locations and voting. That's to be determined. Our number is 1-800-848-9222. Let's go to Louie, who's calling from Coney Island. Your turn to be heard here at WABC, Louie. Yes, sir. Can you hear me? Loud and clear, Louie. Great, great. Uh, The Filipino nurses are fantastic. They they treated me like God in 1970. In Balboa Naval Hospital in San Diego, and I wanted to tell you something about the monkeys in Zamboanga. The monkeys have no tails in Zamboanga. The monkeys have no tails in Zamboanga. The monkeys have no tails. They were bitten off by whales. The monkeys have no tails in Zamboanga. Did you know that? Maybe uh, you want to say that one more time. What does he think was stung God? The monkeys have no tails in Zamboanga. Ah, you see, you knew a Weisenheimer had to get through. He knew the ruse. Talk about the Filipino nurses and then flip the script on me and talk about the monkeys have no tails in Zangawanga, wherever that is. Anyway, let's go to the phones uh, to Michael in Pennsylvania. Your turn to be heard here at WABC, Michael. Curtis, love you, man. You're my brother. I want you to know something. There was a crash January 24th, 24th, uh, January 24th in, in Pennsylvania, in Montour County. There's a place called Danville. A hundred monkeys died in a car crash, and the ones that didn't, uh, I mean, a truck crash, and the ones that didn't die had to be euthanized. They had state police troopers in the trees. Yeah, in fact, uh, Michael, uh, my wife Nancy reported on that in the Animal Welfare Hour uh, about, uh, it was about two months ago, correct? Yeah, January 24th. I mean, could it be somehow related? Why were they being transferred to some CDC facility in central PA? No, and I, I wouldn't, I would not rule this out. I, I don't trust these testing sites. Uh, and it's not just Dr. Fauci. It's how these um, uh, people who do these experiments uh, in these uh, clinics, uh, what they call these labs, uh, they're always using monkeys. They're injecting them. Uh, 
you know, they're, they're, they're treating them uh, inhumanely. And I use that uh, that term uh, liberally because these people have the functions oftentimes. These monkeys have human characteristics. That's why they use monkeys, Michael. They weren't even tested already. They were on their way to the CDC facility, and the state police had to kill them. It doesn't make sense. It seems to me that they were already infected with something, no? Could well be. I'll ask my uh, wife to pick up on that. Her mother, uh, who she visits on a regular basis, lives out in Milford, Pennsylvania. And I remember on her last visit, uh, she was collecting information on that because she was horrified what had happened there. You're right. Uh, They had uh, sharpshooters killing the monkeys. Uh, who had gotten out of that 18-wheel tractor trailer. And my wife was saying, I-, I don't understand. These are not wild monkeys. These are monkeys who had been kept in cages. Uh, and uh, Lord only knows what they inject these animals with. It's, it's just, it, it has to be exposed. Uh, they, they're always injecting these monkeys with all kinds of substances. And I sometimes wonder, was that really necessary? you got to find out. There might be a relation to this monkeypox story, which is full of garbage as far as I'm concerned. Yeah, but that's, uh, that was the, the hedge that my wife Nancy had. She was not only repulsed by what had happened, she was very suspicious. She's even more suspicious of government than I am. Uh, you think I'm suspicious because I trust no politicians, almost no politicians, and I certainly don't trust Fauci and the CDC and these agencies with these labs that they have all over the world. And you know why they have these labs all over the world, Michael? Why? Because legally they can't do it here in the United States. Uh-huh. So remember remember that image we had of those beagles in Tunisia? Where they put the beagles' heads, and then they had these 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 red ants biting away their face and biting away their uh, their ears. And you said, for what purpose? What experimentation? This is torture. And then all of a sudden, Fauci and members of the CDC uh, they had zippers on their mouth. They had cotton balls in their ears. That went viral. To this day, we haven't gotten an ex- explanation. Why was that outsourced to Tunisia? The reason it was outsourced, Michael, is they're not permitted to do that in the United States. What else are they doing in these foreign countries that are ending up affecting not only our population, but the global population? Gain-of-function research in Wuhan, same drill. Yep. Yep, Michael. Remember at first, we were like, come on, Wuhan, come on, you're making that up. Yeah, you're embellishing it. And then all of a sudden, hmm, we were funding that lab for what? Biological weapons? Why would we be having the Red Chinese experimenting with biological weapons that we wanted to know more about? They're our enemies. It's illegal to do it in Fort Detrick. They had to move it there. That's right. Well, Fort Detrick. And remember, they used to do it right off of uh, the Long Island Sound, Plum Island. There's another one. Back to the car, the uh, truck crash. The truck crash, a woman who got in contact with the monkeys got sick and had to quarantine. Did you read that one? It's on Google. That. I am not aware of. I'll bet you my wife Nancy is. We'll have a discussion about that this evening in the Animal Welfare Hour. She brought that up two months ago. We should have followed it more expeditiously. That was her hunch. 
She was really upset. I remember she was almost uh, crying. She couldn't understand why they keep doing these, these, these tests to these monkeys, and especially overseas because there's some of these tests they're not permitted to do in the United States, so we outsource it to third-world countries. Let's go to Phantom, who's calling from Queens. Your turn to be heard here at WABC, Phantom. Hi, Curtis. Good day to you. Listen, I go back. I'm 70 years old, okay? And I go back to the, to the late 70s when I used to know these two fellas. They used to go to the Philippines and bring Philippine nurses, maybe uh, four or five a month, have a house in Long Island uh, um, and they, and with um, illegal rooms, okay, a big rooming board. And they will get these Filipino nurses jobs in hospitals. And at the same time, they would charge each one about maybe $300, $350 a week. And they must have had a, a, a three, four, yeah, about three or four houses full of Filipino nurses. Now you do the math on that. Oh, no, no. There, there's a lot of that taking place. Look, they do that with cruise liners. How oftentimes you go on a cruise and it's an all-Filipino crew. Uh, they come from whole villages because once one of the villages gets a job, they say, do you know other people there who are willing to work? And these Filipinos, they work hard. Yeah, yeah, my cousin, my uncle, my friend. Uh, similar with nurses, they'll come over knowing the basics, uh, and they're more than happy to learn more about what it is you're asking them to do in the nursing field uh, we, we, we need to give far more attention to all nurses, whether they're immigrant nurses from uh, the Philippines, from India. Well, my father, Chester, when he was in Maimonides, he, he made one request, one request. He said, do not have the male nurses from Russia come tend to me at night. I'm going to have flashbacks. So I remember telling the director of Maimonides, I knew the guy well, I knew him many as police. I know my father. He has anger management issues. He's asked one thing, one thing alone. Please just have the Caribbean female nurses tend to him. He's used to having gone to the West Indies and Caribbean as a merchant seaman. He doesn't like the Russian guys. He has flashbacks to World War II and making the Maranks run uh, to aid uh, Joe Stalin with all those supplies that helped them turn around uh, their effort against the Nazis. So it's late at night. Whoever was on the shift forgot, don't send the male nurses, the Russian male nurses, into my father's room. They showed up. He was sleeping. They had to administer some kind of medication. The next thing, there were two male nurses on the floor. He got up and he popped them. And then they put him in the psychological ward. Behind Maimonides, there's a psych unit with barbed wire. You, you are now a ward of the state. It didn't matter. You're Curtis Lee. It didn't matter who you are. Sid Rosenberg. You could be anybody. Now they're a ward of the state. So I go visit my dad. Get me out of this nut house or you're not my son. I said, Dad, don't be calling it a nut house. I want you for the next week, two weeks, to be pleasing, pleasant, polite, so nice, so super sweet, you would give a diabetic insulin shot. For two weeks, he regaled them. He was telling them tales about sailing the seven seas. The director of the psychiatric unit calls me up and says, you know, your dad's okay. He's got a few anger management issues, but we're going to discharge him back to the regular hospital so they can deal with his medical ailments. And they released him, and I went to visit him, and he said, you're no longer my son. Well, what I do, Dad? 
You left me there for two weeks. What did you want me to do, break you out? Who told you to knock out the two Russian male nurses? See, I got blamed for that. Anyway, ladies and gentlemen, uh, stay tuned. Because I believe coming up, right, we have uh, our owner-operator, John Katsimatidis, with the best uh, of some of his interviews, uh, really cutting edge. Uh, A lot of them will actually make the news on the day of the interview and then bleed over into the next day. But next week, a rising star. I got to tell you, we saw it with our own eyes at our ratings dinner it was put on by our owner-operators, John and Margot Kachimatidis of our parent company, Red Apple Media. Vinny Maduno, teacher by day at Richmond High School in Staten Island in the shadow of the Bayonne Bridge. What a talent. Not only has he been a fixture as a protege of Cousin Brucey on Saturdays from 5 to 6 before Cousin Brucey takes you from 6 to 10, followed by Tony Orlando from 10 to 12, and then you know the rest of that story. I take you from 12 midnight to 6 in the morning. But he's now going to be doing 5 to 6 on Sundays right before Jersey Jojo Piscopo, the Sinatra show by Ramsey Subaru. It just keeps getting better, this lineup. Better and better. It's not just news. It's not just opinion. Uh, It's a panoply of different subjects, including a lot of entertainment. You get a belly laugh from time to time. You learn things you didn't know before. We talk about the issues that are of concern to you, cultural. We went into a whole discussion the other night about Johnny Depp and his gal pal, former wife Amber, and a defamation suit of $50 million that he wants from her, and she's countersuing $100 million. The drama was so good, it was almost like real life, what happens in a lot of households. That's what I try to bring to the 50,000 powerful watts of sound. So enjoy the rest of the night because before you know it, I've got to do a pirouette and I'm going to be back at 9 o'clock, 9 to 11, and I'm going to be talking about subjects that I haven't even discussed in this two hours. And then, as requested by our caller from Pennsylvania... My wife will do the deep dive on the monkeys who escaped from that 18-wheel tractor trailer who were executed because it was thought that they would be a threat to the surrounding population. Not that they would do home invasions like thugs or thugettes, but that they were carrying certain diseases. Could that have been monkeypox? And why do we continue to do these experiments on animals who are so similar to us, monkeys. We'll get down to the nitty-gritty. That's what you expect when you hear Curtis Lewa, and I'm going to deliver it every time they lend me the microphone. Don't forget tomorrow, Monday through Friday, I'll be taking you through lunchtime, Bill O'Reilly, 12 to 12.15, and then I give you 45 minutes from 12.15 to 1. Don't miss it. Spread the word.